All right. Question for the kids. How many of you kids know what the exercise the plank is? How many of you know what a plank is? All right, I see several hands over here. Okay, it's a Seeger family that apparently knows the, uh, the, the plank. All right, if you don't know what the plank is, if you look here on the screen, you'll see a picture of a guy. He's on his elbows, and he's also then on his toes, creating kind of a triangle with the ground. He's trying to stay really, really straight, all right? That is called a plank. I can do a plank. I tested it out yesterday for a minute and a half, all right? Now, you may be thinking that's not very long, but if you could do a plank for that long, I would applaud you because my back and stomach were killing me by the end of it, all right? It hurts, which means if you're really, really good at the plank, you probably could go 10 minutes. If you are like phenomenally amazing, maybe 20. Well, last month, George Hood from Naperville, Illinois, just set the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest continuous plank. Anyone want to guess how long he did it? Zion, you cannot say it because you have my notes in front of you. <laughs> anyway, just take a guess. Shout it out. An hour more. Yeah, 10 hours, 10 minutes approximately. It helps when you cheated and look at my notes. Yeah, that, that's great. 10 hours. 10 hours. I mean, think about it. Like, I can go barely a minute and a half. Some of you would probably be dying after 10 seconds. This guy went 10 hours. Unbelievable. But that's not the end of the story. After he got off after 10 hours, took a break, he jumped back up on the platform and proceeded to do several sets. And in the course of 24 hours, he did 18 hours and 10 minutes, setting a Guinness Book of World Records for the, long, for the most amount of planking within a 24-hour period. Oh, and I think I failed to mention that George Hood from Naperville, Illinois, turned 60 right before he accomplished this. Now, if George Hood started out to do this, do you think he just one day went out, started planking, and 10 hours later decided, you know, that's long enough? No. First time out, he probably went two minutes, maybe three. I, I, I'm guessing this former Marine's like some amazing, you know, phenomenon. Right? Maybe his first time out, he, let's just say he went 10 minutes. But that's the longest he could do. After that, he was dying. But he just kept working at it and working at it and working at it to the point where he set the first Guinness Book of World Records at two hours something. And then that wasn't enough. And so he decided to go longer. So he went five hours. And then some 20-something over in China decided to go do eight hours. And this 60-year-old says, you're not taking my title. And so once he got himself up to over nine hours, he decided, I'm going for it, and ended up doing 10 hours and 10 minutes. Now, when we hear that, we think there's no way. And, and you're right, there is no way that you would be able to probably go and do 10 hours. Maybe some of you could. But I bet some of you here, you probably could get up to 10 minutes. The, the problem is, we look at where we are right now and where someone like George is right now, and we think there's no way. But if we start realizing that there was one time in George's life where he was at the same place we are, then maybe we could begin to get ourselves to a place where we could maybe, well, probably not beat George, but at least get up to, say, like 10 minutes. It's just what it means is today you're going to go home and you're going to do 30 seconds. And tomorrow you'll do 30 seconds. And then on Tuesday, 45. And Wednesday, 45. By Friday, you're up to a minute. And if you keep at it, after a couple of months, who knows? Maybe you'll be up to 10 minutes. It takes discipline. I think the same thing happens in our spiritual life. 
I think that there are times where we hear someone, you know, quote a bunch of Bible verses, or, or maybe, you know, they, they just seem to have this incredibly close relationship with God, or they, they say these prayers, and it just moves us, and we think, I could never do that. But what we're doing is we're comparing where we're at right now with where they are right now. But maybe, just maybe, they were once where you are right now. How did they get to where they are in their spiritual walk with Jesus? Discipline. We've been in this series called Disciplined, looking at the topic of spiritual disciplines. And we've looked at a wide range. We've looked at studying the Bible. We've looked at prayer. We've looked at serving and worship. I mean, we've looked at a, a whole range of them. Well, today we're going to finish the series with one last discipline. But this discipline is not one that you kind of do in and of itself. This discipline is kind of like salt. It's what you add to food to enhance its flavor, to bring more out of it. Today's discipline is the discipline of perseverance. And what you do is you add perseverance into these other disciplines because that's what God is going to use to mold you and shape you into the image of Christ, to make you strong on the inside. And to help us understand it, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible to the book of James. If you're a first-time guest with us uh, here at Riverwood, if you've got a Bible on your phone, we are totally okay with you pulling that out and using uh, your phone. So no one's going to accuse you of going to Facebook or Twitter or, or uh, you know, Pinterest, Instagram. So feel free to use that. If you've got a paper Bible like, like me, uh, you can go ahead and, and whip that out as well. But we're going to go to the book of James. As you're turning to James, let me just kind of help you understand a little bit of, of where some of this uh, comes from. James was the brother of Jesus. How would you like to grow up with Jesus as your older brother? I mean, like, you could never blame him for anything. You know, like, well, Jesus did it. And they're going to go, no, he's the sinless son of God. He didn't do it. Right? That, that would not be fair. But John, I mean, James ended up growing up not thinking his brother really was the son of God. I mean, he, he grew up with this guy. He just seemed like another human. Until his brother died on a cross and rose again from the dead three days later. Then James became a, a, a follower of his half-brother. Eventually, James ended up becoming one of the key leaders of the, the kind of global Christian church. For a while, it was Peter, and, and then over time, it became James. And, and James, as this kind of pastor, elder, wants to help guide the church. And so at one point in his life, he decides to write at least one letter. And we have this letter captured. If you notice in James chapter 1, verse 1, James is writing this, it says, to the 12 tribes. That's referring to Jews. And yet, as we read through it, we see he's really writing this to Jesus followers. So he's writing it to Jewish people who believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who've been scattered abroad. They've been put out all over the place. They're not just centralized like in Jerusalem where he probably is when he wrote this, but they've been spread out across the countryside, maybe because of persecution or whatever that has just sent them everywhere. But James writes this to encourage their faith. And my hope and prayer is that today, no matter where you are at in your spiritual journey, you too will be encouraged in your faith and learn the power of perseverance. So before we read James chapter one, let me pray. So Heavenly Father, we have gathered here outside in your sanctuary. You are the creator of nature. And so it is wonderful to be out here to enjoy the sun and the wind and the shade. And yet, Father, in the midst of all that's going on with cars driving by and people walking by and maybe people out on the river, Right now, would you help each and every one of us to put our heart and our mind on Jesus? May, may you say something to each and every one of us that we need to hear today. We've, we've gathered here for all sorts of different reasons. We're here maybe because Riverwood's our home church. Maybe we're here because we were invited. Maybe we're here because Crossed is leaving in, in music. But whatever the reason and excuse that we thought we came, 
Father, I pray that right now that the, the reason you brought them was so that you could do what you need to in their heart and in their mind. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just very graciously not make this about what I have prepared to say, that you would make this about what you need to say, what you want to say in the hearts and minds of those who have gathered here today. And so, Father, open our ears and, and, and eyes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so James, chapter one, verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In her book, Grit, Angela Duckworth shares story after story backed up by solid research that reveals that grit, this idea of perseverance, that people who have grit tend to be far more successful in life than those who just have this tendency to kind of quit. And it, it was a powerful book. I really enjoyed it. I lent it to, to Jacob. I've actually had several conversations with people. Great books. If you could find it, I, I'd say pick it up. In, in there, she shares all sorts of stories of these people who, who apply some grit. And, and one of the things that really stuck out to me, though, was when you begin to apply some grit in one area of your life, it starts to kind of trickle over into other parts of life. Uh, one of her examples in the book is, is kids who study music. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me is, is that kids who study music tend to get better grades. And there's been all sorts of theories on why this is. Some people have postu uh, postulated, yeah, that, that maybe it's the fact that you, you know, do music, that it does something to your brain to change it so that you end up being smarter and you end up doing better in school. Other people said, no, the reason you do music is because you're already smart, and so you just gravitate towards music. But after reading Grit, I, I wonder if it's not a case that by learning an instrument and going through the discipline of, of really, you know, applying some grit to learn it, it helps you then later so that when you run into a tough math problem, you still apply some grit. You persevere and you work through it. Yeah, and you, you complete the project. I think that's kind of what James is getting that in verse 2. When he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get really, really frustrated when I start hitting a problem in life. Because I think, man, I've already gone through so much. Why do I also have to face this? But he's warning us. He's saying, you're going to have problems. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have trials all through life. And so just when you think, okay, I finally got my relationship taken care of. This, we're over this trial. Don't lose it when suddenly things aren't going so well at work. Because it's through these various trials that God is at work. He's developing this inner spiritual muscle in you. In other words, it's trying to develop a spiritual plank, get, get you some, you know, a beautiful spiritual six-pack abs. He's trying to do something in you. That's why uh, James makes the very crazy statement that he does to start this off. He starts verse two off with the phrase, count it all joy. I don't know about you, but I kind of look at that and say, really? Like, when you lose your job, you're supposed to have happiness? Like when you're facing a financial crisis, you're supposed to be grinning from ear to ear? Like when your spouse or your significant other leaves you, you're supposed to just kind of go, you know what, no big deal, it's fine. I don't think that's what James is saying, that we get happy because, yes, I just lost my job. I think what he's saying is we can have joy because of what God is going to do through this tough trial. That's what he says there in verse 3. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That word steadfastness, that could be translated endurance, perseverance, or to use modern language, grit. 
It does something in you. And because you know, hey, because I'm going to go through with this, here's what's going to happen. And that is in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So let me ask for a show of hands. How many of you here are absolutely perfect? Anyone? Like, like your, your thought life is exactly where it needs to be. The way you treat other people is exactly where it needs to be. I mean, like, you're absolutely, I don't see a single hand. Good. I was hoping no one would, would raise their hand, then I'd have to accuse them of lying. Uh, none of us are perfect. All right, so kids, I'm about to now ask you a very Sunday school type of question. Who is the only person to have ever been on this earth who lived a perfect and complete life, lacking nothing? Jesus. Now, why would I ask such a silly Sunday school question? Because it's important for us to realize it's through these trials that God is molding and shaping us, conforming us into the image of Jesus. As we see in the scriptures back in Genesis, God created Adam and Eve with his image in them. But because of their sin, that image was kind of distorted. It, it was affected. And it's been broken. And God, through the cross of Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is now repairing that image within people. So when you place your faith in Jesus, God is seeking to repair his image within you. He's wanting you to be like Christ. God's goal, the way we put it at Riverwood, is he wants you to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And what James is saying is part of what God is going to use are the tough times you go through. Because if you will continue to cling to Christ, to persevere through, God is going to be doing this deep work in you, molding you more into the image of his son. Now, the reason I point all this out is that sometimes when we enter into spiritual disciplines, we hit tough times. And sometimes we find ourselves very tempted to quit. Let's just use an example. Let's say that uh, you realize, okay, I need to get into the scripture. I, I've just not been reading the Bible. I've just not been a spiritual uh, discipline of mine. And, and maybe you've heard this series, and so you're really convicted of it. And so you're like, all right, I'm going to get into the Bible. So you pick up a, a Bible reading plan, and you start in on it. But then after about two, three, four weeks, maybe you've missed a day here or there. Maybe it's just not resonating with you like you thought it would. And, and you start reaching a place where you're about to just slip right back into how you were living before. Most of us... That's what we do. We just kind of fall back and we unintentionally quit. And I think what James is trying to say to us is, no, I want you to be persevere. I want you to apply some grit. This is what exactly happened to me in my own Bible reading this year in 2018. I, I've not read through, I've, I have read through the entire Bible before uh, several times, but I hadn't done it in a few years. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it again. For 2018, I'm going to read through the entire Bible, but I thought I'm going to do it in one of the plans that we put out in, uh, on the Give and Grow table. Um, it was a plan where on like Sunday you would read from the epistles, on Monday you would read from like the Old Testament Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. On Tuesday you were in a different section, I think it was Old Testament history. And so each day of the week you were in a different section of the Bible. And I thought this is a kind of a new novel way to approach reading the entire Bible. I thought this sounds great. I've been putting that plan out on the, the table every January uh, for the last couple of years. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it myself for the first time. So I pick it up. I noticed by about February, I was really frustrated. Because on Tuesday, I would read, and I, again, I think it was Old Testament history. And then 
I wouldn't read again there until the next Tuesday. And by then, I will have forgotten some of the stuff that I'd read the week before. And so I was forgetting the context, and, and I found myself having to go back, and I just found myself really, really frustrated. And so there were some days where I just was like not wanting to get into my Bible. And then I'd end up missing a day. And so now I'm a few chapters behind because it was averaging about three, four, five chapters a day. And then, then you miss a couple more days, and, and soon you're further behind. And I just found myself like having to come at this like hard duty, and I was wanting to persevere through it. Then I realized I'm missing the whole point because the whole point of the spiritual disciplines is to help you become like Christ. And I was not being like Christ and having an intimate relationship with my father. I was seeing the scriptures as this duty that I had to do. So I knew I've got to change this up. And so my way of persevering was in in July, July 1st. I took that sheet of paper I had that I've been keeping in my Bible and I pitched it in the recycling bin. And I knew there's a lot of things that Riverwood's facing, some really good things coming up. And I just, as a pastor, needed, in a sense, to have my father begin to mentor me and prepare me for all the things that are ahead. And so I went to the pastoral epistles where Paul just mentors Timothy and Titus and just began to read a chapter or two, maybe three each day. And then because I wanted to have this intimate relationship with God, I'd also go over and just read a chapter in the Psalms. And suddenly, my time in the scripture has been wonderful again. It's been rich I didn't quit, I just made a change. I don't want you to think that this idea of perseverance means that you gotta just slog through it. No, the way to persevere is to keep fighting for it no matter what. And if that means you gotta make a change, do so. Just because you hit a roadblock doesn't mean it's done. Just find the detour and keep going. Because our perfect example of perseverance is Jesus. If you think about it, Jesus went through the cross for us. How horrific was that? And yet, if you go into the book of Luke, you'll see Jesus as he's on his way to Jerusalem leading up to the events that were going to result in his death. He knows what is going to happen, and yet he is out front of his disciples leading the way. He's not backing down. He knows what's ahead, and he's going for it. How did he do it? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us an idea. If you know where Hebrews 12 is, go ahead and flip there. Otherwise, I've got the scripture on the screen for you. Hebrews 12, the second half of verse 1, starts this way. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So that same idea that James was just talking about. Let us endure. Let us persevere. Let's keep going. But how? By looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. For the joy set before before him it means there was something waiting for him on the other side of the cross and he kept his eyes there what was on the other side of the cross you the whole reason jesus went through the cross was to die for your sins because your sin kept you eternally separated from his father and yet god passionately loves you he put his image in you and that image has been broken and so jesus went to the cross for you So as he's going through the cross, his eyes are on the Father because he knows that on the other side of this, after he resurrects us, you become his. So what should we do when we face the difficulties, whether it be just in life or in these spiritual disciplines? We keep our eyes on Jesus. Right there in Hebrews 12 too, looking at Jesus. If you continue to look at him, you'll see the perfect example of someone who persevered for you 
and it'll make you just fall in love with him all the more, and you'll want to be in the scriptures. You'll want to be praying. You'll have a desire to worship. You'll want to go and serve. You'll want to do these spiritual disciplines because they are not a duty. They are a joy because you know that deep down, God is doing this great work in you so that he can then do a great work through you. This last week, I was listening to a podcast where a uh, pastor um, that I actually know personally, he was interviewing this church planter. And this church planter lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. I never met, uh, his name's Mike, never met Mike, never even had heard of Mike before. But something really interesting happened in the interview. Uh, my, my friend, his name is Matt, the, uh, the pastor, the interviewer, he, he knew a little bit about Mike. And he says, Mike, I, I heard that you lost 40 pounds last year. How, how did you do it? Because my, my friend Matt, he would admit, he, he really likes his food, and he's just a little bit overweight. So he's asking this Mike guy, how'd you do it? But Mike did not start in, oh, well, I, I you know, cut this out of my diet, and I started eating this, or I did this for my exercise. No, he didn't even go there first. He says, well, to tell you the truth, he says, this has been a whole big, long spiritual journey. He said, I've been undisciplined in a number of areas of my life. One of the examples he gave was that he would wait until Saturday night to write his sermons. Often he would be finishing his sermon at like 1, 2 in the morning on Sunday, go home, take a quick nap, and then he's right back at church, and now he has to preach it. And he realized, this is not good. This is not healthy. He's not letting this steep in his spirit. And so he's like, this has to change. And there were, there were a number of areas that he realized, I've got to change in these. And so Mike decided to list six areas and he knew the way he was going to have to persevere through them because he knew himself. He would just revert back. All right, he, he admitted he would eat at Chick-fil-A like six times a week. You know, that, that's why he was 40 pounds overweight. He said he realized he needed some people to hold him accountable. That's how he was going to have to persevere because otherwise he would just drink six more sweet teas at, at uh, Chick-fil-A. And so he said, he invited six friends. I want you to hold me accountable in this area. And so each week, each of these friends contacts him and says, how did you do in this area? And so when it came to his sermons, he says instead of waiting till Saturday, he's got this friend who now calls him on Thursday. Are you done yet? How's it going? What's your sermon this week? How's the preparation been? Just helping hold him accountable. And Mike doesn't get mad when his friend calls him because Mike's the one who invited him in. He says, I've got to fight for this. I've got to persevere through this. I've got to do what's right. And so to get healthy, Every Friday, a friend would call. Have you been doing your workouts? What have you been eating? What's your plan for this next week? And he said that helped him to fight to lose that weight. Because when he's sitting there saying, I really don't want to head to the gym. I don't want to lift weights. I really don't want to drive by Chick-fil-A and not go in. He would think, my friend's calling me on Friday. I can't do this. And he'd do what he needed to do. It was his way to persevere. What do you need to do to persevere? Do you need to invite someone into your life to help hold you accountable? Do you need to maybe change some things up to what, to what you're doing? Or is it just simply getting back? Because you know you actually enjoy this. You, you, you grow through this. What is it you need to do? Because I know that God loves you so much that he doesn't want you just wandering, driftless, aimless in life. He wants to do something incredible through you. But before he can do that, he wants to do something great in you. He wants to make you stronger inside. He wants to make you like Jesus. Because he knows that as you go through these tough moments, whether in the disciplines or in life, he's going to help you become more wise. You're going to become more loving. You're going to become more kind. You're going to become more patient. In other words, you're going to be start becoming perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
So my Riverwood family and those who are visiting, I want to encourage you. If you value Jesus, will you chase after him? Will you cling to him? Will you look to him as you continue to move through these things? Because he wants to do something great in you because he wants to do something great through you. So Father, I just pray right now you would help each of us to hear you. God, what is it you are, are saying to us? I pray that this would not just be a bunch of empty words that some guy up front has said and, and now we'll just go about our day. Instead, I pray that you'd help us to persevere. And so if that means we need to make some changes, God, give us the courage and strength to make those changes. Lord, you've placed your Holy Spirit in your, your believers. And so I pray right now for anyone who's a follower of Jesus that they would rely on you, that they would cling to Christ and you would give them the strength and power to, to move and, and to go through this. Lord, I pray for anyone here that does not know you, that, that maybe as they're hearing this, there's this desire in them to be used by you. And so I pray that today they would give their life to Jesus. They would completely surrender themselves, realizing that Jesus died on the cross so that their, their sin could be forgiven. And it, the joy that was before him, the reason he could endure that cross was so that they could follow him. So Father, I pray right now that you'd help each and every one of us just to take a step of faith, to, to, to follow you, to put you first, to keep our eyes on you, and that you would do this for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.